So we started off this series, we've been talking about faith and hope as anchors. Uh, we were talking about when storms come, you can run from the storm, but if you run from the storm, what's going to happen when the storm comes and passes over you and you're left lost at sea because you didn't anchor deep? The best thing for you to do is anchor deep, so when the storm passes, you're in the same place at least, and, and, uh, and then you can continue on uh, to what God's called you to. Um, and so we've been talking about that. We've talked about uh, placing our trust in Jesus. This is kind of the preface of last week when we talked about hope, hope. We place our trust in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus, but we hope for what he has promised. And so there's nothing wrong if you're sick in your body to hope for healing because healing is promised. So we're going to talk a little bit about more about the specifics of the promise. Last week we talked about hope. People live life. Well, I don't want to get my hopes up. You need to go back and listen to that message. You need to live very hopeful. You know, if people can call you naive or stupid or unwise or whatever, wise people live hopeful. It's foolish to live, well, I just don't want anybody to burn me. You know, that, that's jaded. That's hard-hearted. You need to have a heart that's whole, and you need to live with very, very, very high hopes because God's promise is very much better than what we're experiencing, no matter how good you're experiencing it. Are you with me? And so this morning, I wanted to talk a little bit specifically about the inheritance that we've received in Jesus. I want to talk a little bit uh, specifically about promise. What is promise to us? Not everything, but a little bit, just a couple of nuggets here. And then I want to talk about the price of that promise. Are you guys with me? So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, if you want to, if you have it on your notes there, or if you have it in your Bible, you guys can read this with me if you would like to out loud. That would be great. Therefore, we who who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold out to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So this is what hope is. Hope is something that we can have confidence in. It's not, we talked about this last week. Hope is, hope is not wishful thinking, Right? I hope my bills get paid. That, it's not how I hope upon a star. We're not talking about wishful thinking. Our destiny isn't in wishful thinking or fortune. It's in promise. Come on, are you with me? So we hope in what God has promised. It's the thing that we are longing for, and we will not be disappointed. Hebrews chapter 8. All right, here we go for today. But now Jesus, our high priest, who has given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Now, if you've missed this series, you've missed some of this. In the old covenant, God gave a covenant to the children of Israel. It was for a specific people, for a specific time. It was called the old covenant, right? This is where we get the Ten Commandments. This is where we get the Levitical law. We get all the, all the laws for sacrifices and all these kind of things, all these appropriations that people had to make in order to be in right relationships with God. It was a covenant that God made with the people. He said, if you do this, then I'll bless you. If you don't, you're going to die. That was basically the way it was. Well, the fault in the law was people. It wasn't that the law was bad. It's that the people couldn't keep it. So God was like, and really all the law was totally set into motion to set Israel apart. You can go back and listen to the series on this. The whole law was set so the children of Israel could be set apart from the other religions of the world at the time so they could be a very specific people, all these specific things that they did. And it was all leading up to Jesus now, God promised, we know that God promised Abraham to be the father of many nations. He's the father of faith. And then now, 
Through Jesus, we are all the children of Abraham, meaning that we don't go back up to the law. We don't have to live up to the law. We actually supersede the law through Jesus, and we are in the right relationship with God in a very similar covenant that Abraham had because Abraham's covenant with God was based in promise. Are you with me? It was based in promise, not works. So when the, the old covenant law came into effect, God gave it to Moses, a man, and it says this in John chapter 1, it says the law came through Moses, right? But grace came through Jesus. So what Jesus did is he says, you know what? It's not about this law. It's not about every jot and tittle and keeping all these little things and lining up and lining up and lining up and lining up. Okay, you're righteous now. No, he said, no, that, that, the law came through a man, Moses. He was the system. He was, he was the man that administered that. He was of God, all these kind of things. But he said, now grace came through Jesus. So this is what kind of the backup to where we're at. So this, this covenant that we have is based on better promises. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's better. You know, we, we know all these people, they're going back and they're keeping like, they're not even Jews and they're keeping like the old covenant law. I'm like, what, are you a Jew? You know, what are you doing? Why, why are you worried so much about that? And some of you are like, oh, we don't have to do those things. Understand that in the law were things that were, how many of you know that before Moses ever gave the law, it was already a sin to murder? Yes, it was already a sin to covet. All these things were already sin. The law was just reinstating it. Are you guys with me? Okay, so it says this based on better promise. It is for the first covenant had been faultless. There have been, if the first covenant had, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, right, because they couldn't keep it, he said this, the day's coming. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and laid them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them. Wow. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I mean, it's a lot better when it's in you than it's a list that's outside of you. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach, uh, they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you shall know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest. How does that happen? Through, through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. Will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. This is the new covenant. When God speaks of a new covenant, the writer of Hebrews, it means... That he has made the first one obsolete, and it is now out of date, and will soon disappear. Check it out. This was the covenant. Okay, do this, get this. Do 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 do. The old covenant was was for specific people. We've talked about that. The descendants, right? The descendants of Abraham. The descendants of Abraham. Jesus came along, and because all the descendants, all the Jews were like, well, G- we're, we're, we're not slaves to anyone. In John chapter 8, they're like, we're not slaves to anyone. And Jesus said, well, who the Son sets free is free indeed. We have Abraham as our father. We're not slaves to anyone. How many know the children of Israel were slaves to lots of people, and now they were enslaved to the law? And so Jesus is like, yes, it's true. You are descendants of Abraham, but not true sons. 
And so through Jesus, we have the power. John chapter 1 verse, uh, John 110 says that now we have the right, the power to become children of God. So now we're actually, we're not just, we're not descendants of Abraham in, in the sense of a bloodline, but spiritually we're grafted in to the promise, a, a promise that is similar to what Abraham, are you all tracking with me? The promise that Abraham had was based, the covenant that Abraham had was based on God's promises and God's goodness, not based upon his works, Abraham's works. Okay, are you with me? So it's specific for descendants versus all people. Now all people can come to this new covenant. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was based upon doing. The New Covenant is based upon being. The Old Covenant was based upon behaving. The New Covenant is based upon belonging. How many know that when you belong, you behave? But just because you behave doesn't mean you belong. The Old Covenant was based upon conditions. The New Covenant is based upon an agreement with what Jesus has done. Now, obedience in the New Testament is agreement, agreement with God. In the New Covenant, is saying, I agree with God. So there is obedience in it. Are you with me? But in the Old Covenant, obedience was based upon labor. How hard can you work? How much can you sacrifice? The Old Covenant was based upon the sacrifices of many. The New Covenant is based upon the sacrifices of one. It is good news. Obedience was based upon labor. Now it's based on yielding our will out of love. Isn't that just so freeing? Doesn't it make you want to obey God when you're in a relationship with Him? Because God knew, I want these people to be connected with me. And so what we've done in the church nowadays is we, we sit around and we kind of glorify people being miserable. Well, they want to suffer for God. I'm more spiritual if I suffer. I'm more spiritual if it's hard and I still do it. How many, how many know that that is not the plan of God? God's plan is that you are fulfilled in obedience. In doing it, you're like, man, God, I love you. you know? And people are like, well, we don't want people to get out of line. And what, if they don't, what if we don't make them do certain things? You can't make anybody do anything anyway, especially if it's written on the wall. It's got to be written on their heart. So there's absolutely mandatory, I will say this, mandatory obedience in the new covenant. Absolutely. Oh, look at Abraham's obedience. It was, he was far more obedient than the children of Israel were. But it wasn't based upon his obedience. It was based upon God's goodness and God's promise. Whew. Good news. Heart-driven obedience versus self-discipline. Self-discipline is important. But if that's all you got and you got no heart, it's not going to last very long. Come on, are you with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. It is not that we think that we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're qualified. You're qualified. Look at your other neighbor. You're qualified. You. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. Okay, Moses was a minister of the Old Covenant. You are a minister of the New Covenant. How can you minister something or admin something that you don't have? How can you do that? How can you give away something you don't have? How can you give away $5 if you don't have $5? You don't have $5 to give. How can you give hope if you don't have hope? Well, you can't give hope if you don't have hope. And we're all called to be hope dealers. We talked about that last week. Dope just helps people cope, right? 
But hope don't float, it soars, right? And you got hope in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You got hope inside. And so you're a dealer of that hope, but you can only deal that hope if you have it. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a hope dealer. You're a hope dealer. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. Let me say that again. This is a covenant not written laws, but of the Spirit. The old covenant ends in death. Why? Because you can't keep it. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. You cannot minister or admin something that is not in your possession. And let me just say this. The inheritance that we receive, you know, we go in here and we declare and all this kind of stuff. We love that, right? But it's not for us to keep. Everything that God gives you is for you to give away. That's why people are like, are y'all prosperity teachers? Kind of. Not in what you think it means because it doesn't just mean that we're, we get fat with blessing. Come on, are you with me? But we are administers of blessing. What I've found is whenever I make myself an administer of the things that God gives me, he gives me more in my hand. Because I'm partnering with his heart. heart. And God don't run out. <laughs> it just don't run out. Well, if I give away all my hope that I won't have any hope of. No, you'll have more hope than you'll know what to do with. You'll just have to give away more. So what is our inheritance? What is the promise? Check this out. 1 Peter chapter 1. We've read this a little bit during the series. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now if we live with great expectation. Now we live with great expectation. We live with hope. And we have a priceless inheritance. What of this priceless inheritance? What, what, what are we talking about when we talk about the inheritance. So I want to talk about three points of promise, okay? We talk promise, you can say inheritance, it's the thing that's coming, it's the thing that you hope for. What are three things that you can sign the check on? Are you with me? Three points of promise. Number one is reconciliation. Everybody say reconciled. Reconciled is two people are opposed to one another, and now they are brought together. You were opposed to God because of your disobedience, because of your sin, because of your will, because of the way you were born. You got all this garbage going around. Oh, just, just be who you are. Jesus didn't come so you could be who you are. Jesus came and died so you could be like him. Not so you can, you know, just, just be, you know, see all this crud on the internet. It's like, okay, well, who I am is an is ill-tempered, angry man. So I'll just be who I am. You don't like it? Right? Run everybody off. I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I'm so angry about this. Just be who you are. It's so stupid. Well, I'm just kind of emotional. It's just, just the way I am. Stop saying that's the way I am. And start declaring God's promise over you. This might be where I'm at, but this is where I'm going. You are not bitter and negative and angry and hurt. You are tender and healed and hopeful. This is who you are. This is who God's called you to be. So don't sit around on the stool of this is the way I am. That's okay to recognize that. Dang it. It's the way I am. Don't boast in that. Boast in what Jesus did. Listen, if you were good the way you were, then there was no need for Jesus. I've said it before and I'll say it a hundred more times. So it's reconciliation. You weren't good enough for God. 
You weren't. But he loved you anyway. So he sent Jesus to capture you, to rescue you from yourself. Ephesians chapter 2. In those days you were living apart from Christ. I believe it's in the book of James that says that we were living at enmity. We were enemies of God. You were excluded for citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. You lived in the world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So that's the way you were. That's the way I was. That's the way you were. That might be the way that you are now. You are far away from God without Jesus. But God has a way of bridging the gap through the blood of Jesus. And listen, reconcile doesn't mean that you're okay with God and you're getting by with God. It's not like, oh, I'm reconciled with God. I'm, we're on okay terms. No, 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 no. You're not on okay terms with God through Jesus. You're on amazing terms with God. This is why it says in Hebrews that we can approach the throne of God boldly. That you can go with God with confidence. You don't have to go to God and be like, oh, well, uh, God, you know when I lost my temper this week. And, and Lord, you know when uh, I drank a little bit too much last night. And, oh, you know that I didn't treat those people at work. You don't have to go to God like that. You go to God and you be like, man, God, I know, I know that I blew it this week. But I think that, that the sacrifice of Jesus is enough. So I do ask God that you clean me up, clean me up from that stuff. And God, that you help me. Help me to follow your spirit and not follow my flesh. Come on, are you with me? This is the way that you go before God. Not like cockiness. Oh, thank you. Righteous, and I've been living in sin all week. No, 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 not all that. But you go before God, and the Scripture tells us is we go before God humbly. We go before God with contriteness. Whenever we've blown it, we go before God and say, "Man, God, I know that I did that, but it, but you said I could come, so I'm coming." And I just ask that you just clean me up and just help me to walk in the newness of life that you've promised me. And so you're not just brought in. Listen, you're brought into God's family. You're a child. You know, when when my son wakes up in the morning. Even though he's made bad choices maybe the day before or whatever or got grounded from his, you know, uh, Minecraft, you know, he doesn't walk in the living room going, Dad, is it okay that I come in the living room today? Is it even okay that I'm awake? Can, hey, Dad, can I... Can I, can, I, can I have some cereal today? No. He's, he's, he's a part of the family. It's his house. It's his right as a son to get cereal out of the cabinet himself. <laughs> or with my help. You're not just okay. You're on good terms with God. Because of Jesus. Now, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, then you're at bad terms with God. You're enemies with God. God's not mad at you. He's not frustrated at you. He gave you the best thing he could ever give you through Jesus. And you just have to say yes to that. And you have to trust what Jesus did. But understand that that, that is your promise. The greatest thing that we have in Jesus is we're reconciled with God. This is what he says in, in, the, in the New Covenant right there. They, I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
He's like, I am personal. I'm not up on a mountain somewhere or up on a list of rules on the wall or hiding in, in, a, in a, a tabernacle. I'll come and I'll be in you and I'll live in you and I'll dwell in you and I'll function in you. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We will always be together, you and me. And our hope is that we would never live without that. This is a promise from God. You know, I used to, well, I used to read that scripture and have that scripture read over me. He will never leave you or forsake you. It was like, he's watching you all the time. It's like, and, and I believe he is. Listen, God is, there is a righteous standard that we need to walk in. Are you with me? But he's not like, he's not like ticked off at you like waiting to write the next traffic ticket. You know, that's kind of the way we approach God. He's like a police officer following us around. Make sure you don't. Listen, there is that side, the leading, the dwelling, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. These are all great things. But you've got to get your perspective right. It's not because he's frustrated. No, he loves you. And you're reconciled. You're his. Listen, you didn't do anything to make it that way. And you can't do anything to change it. My son is my son. He will always be my son. There's nothing he can do to change that. He's mine. I have spiritual sons that are in jail right now, and they're still my spiritual sons. They've screwed up. They made stupid decisions. They're in jail. They're paying, you know, the worldly penalty for their quote-unquote sins. But nothing changes that. I still love them the same because you don't change that. You don't change family. You don't get out because you cuss today. Thank God. Because you were negative today. Because you had a bad attitude. You don't get out for that. There's a point that you can live, I believe, of rejecting Jesus and saying, no, I don't want anything to do. And you can move out of the house. I, I firmly believe that. But you don't have to fear that. You just love on him. Let him love on you. So reconciliation. Number two is provision. You know, the thing that God has always done throughout Scripture is he's always provided. You know when Adam and Eve blew it? Adam and Eve blew it. So God shows up to hang out with Adam like he always did. Now, if God was mad at Adam, why did he show up? He didn't show up to yell at him. What did he do? Adam, where are you at? It's funny when God asks you where you're at. Like, he knows where you're at, but he wants you to know where you're at. And Adam's like, oh, I was hiding. Oh, I was hiding. What, what are you hiding for, Adam? Right? I mean, he knew why he was hiding. Right? I mean, he's God. Why are you hiding, Adam? Well, because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, Adam? Oh. And what did God do? You're so stupid. God dealt with the issues of sin. He absolutely did. But what did he do? He provided for them clothing to cover their shamefulness. And God covered Adam and Eve, and he provided for them, even in the midst of their sin. And there were consequences for their sin, but God provided for them. We look at Abraham on Mount Moriah. We talked about this last week. He provides for Abraham, right? He's like, I'm going to have to give my son. This is what God's called me to do. I'm going to give my son, give my son. And God's like, oh, no, you're not. Don't lay a hand on that boy. God provides. Listen, God has promised to provide for you emotionally, and God has promised to provide for you financially. You need to quit worrying about the... This is what Jesus said, right? Why do you worry? I don't even worry about the birds of the air. 
right? Matthew 6. Why are you worried about the birds of the air? Does God not take care of the birds? Does God not take care of the plants? And God not take care of the earth? For sure he's going to take care of you. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will take care of everything. So there is an agreement that we have to make. We say, God, I will seek you first and your kingdom, specifically in the area of my finances. And if I do that, I know it puts me in a worry-free zone. And even when you do something stupid sometimes and you didn't seek the kingdom first, he's got the goodness and the grace to come in and provide for you because he's a good daddy. I mean, if Judah loses his shoes, which he does all the time, I'm not going to be like, well, sorry, son. You're just going to have to go to school barefoot today, just like Grandpa used to have to do, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Right? No more shoes for you. You have to spend the rest of your life saving for shoes and buying your own shoes. I'm not going to buy you any more shoes. That's kind of the way we think God is. Listen, Philippians 4, at the moment, I have all I need. And more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me in Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. I actually put the pronunciation on there so I can sound it, say it right. Nobody correct me like they like to do when I'm preaching. Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifices that is acceptable and pleasing to him. So he's saying, your gift to me is a gift to God, is what he's saying. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Listen, God is a good supplier and a good provider, not according to your need. It's not according to your need. It's according to his goodness. Let me read that again. He will supply all your need from his glorious riches. So it's not according to what you have. It's according to what he has. And he has everything. He has everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has everything. So, and he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. You don't have to go around. I don't know that I can be generous because I Right? I don't know if I can tithe because I don't know the bills will be paid. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and his glory. You can be generous. You got to be a good, you need to be a good steward. Come on, don't be stupid. But it's not limited to your resources. The only limited limitation is his riches. <laughs> the only limit on God's provision is his riches, which don't run out. So there's really no limit. There's no cap on the goodness of God. There's no cap on God's riches. Right? So, no matter your education, no matter your job, no matter what your paycheck says or who you're working for, they aren't your provider. God is. Because it's according to his riches that he'll take care of you. It's not accor- Listen, it's not according to your spirituality. It's according to his goodness. So we can trust God for provision. We can trust God for reconciliation. We can hope in provision. It's a promise. And number three, we can hope for wholeness. Wholeness. When we talk about wholeness, we're talking, you know, most of us think, oh, God wants us to be whole emotionally. He wants us to be full of peace and joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, right? That's the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's absolutely promised. Wholeness from emotional sickness. Absolutely. You don't need Prozac. Come on. You don't need antidepressants. You don't need any of that. Why? Because you can find that in Jesus. Now, if you take that for a little while, that's okay. Let's get you to where you need to be, and then let's believe God for your healing. Um, 
to wholeness mentally, right? Mental, mental wholeness and physical healing. Physical healing. So we were like, well, is it God's will to heal somebody or God's will? No, is it God's will? Did Jesus accomplish it on the cross or not? Can God undo what he already did? Listen, if God didn't want to heal you, he wouldn't have. I said, if God didn't want to heal you, he wouldn't have. Your healing has already been atoned for through Jesus. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus says this, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. By the way, sickness, all sickness, mental sickness, physical sickness, solar sickness, all those things are a result of the fall because sin entered the world. It's not because necessarily you sinned, but it's because you, you are alive in a fallen world. Just like your body will decay, right? You'll get old and you'll die, right? That's going to happen. But all these things are a result of the fall, which is a work of the devil. It says in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Sickness is a work of the devil. It's not God. Now, can you imagine Judah coming in? Be like, sorry, Dad, I disobeyed you today. Three forms of cancer. People think that God gives them sickness. No, Jesus took sickness. He became sickness, so you won't be sick. Jesus took disease, so you won't have disease. Jesus took ADD, so you don't have to have the ADD. He took it all. Either he took it all or he took none of it. And you can choose to say, well, I just don't, I don't think that way. Well, then you can live the rest of your life without the hope of that promise. Or you can live life with it. God is not going to undo what Jesus already did. He's going to undo the works of the devil in your life. That is so stupid. I've met people like that. Well, the reason why you're sick is because you're out of the will of God. So God did this to me? That's right. You need to obey him. And then you'll quit being sick. What is that? That's bad theology. Uh, what a good dad you are. <laughs> Come here, son. Let me give you a headache. Listen, there is discipline in God. There is absolutely discipline. But you study discipline is always a form of correction, not punishment. God does not punish his kids. He corrects his kids. There's a big, big difference between correction and punishment. God will correct you. He's very good at it. Well, I just, man, I shouldn't have done that. That's God saying, you shouldn't have done that. God does that. Right? Okay. So, okay. All right, Josh, I, I, I'm with you. Where are you at? So how do I see these things in your life? There is an appropriating in our lives of what God has promised us. There is. It's not just you just wake up one day, I accept Jesus, and boom. I'm completely healed, right? All my finances are in order, right? Everything is, how many of y'all know that that's not the way it is, okay? So how do I get these things functioning in my life? Well, first of all, and we're talking about appropriating these things, number one is you agree and believe in your inheritance, you agree with it, you agree with what the Word of God says, and you believe it. Don't just say that's a great idea. Listen, promises in Scripture under the new covenant in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, they're not ifs. The only if is if you come to Jesus. 
That's the only if. The promises aren't if you do this. No, they're promises. They're God's promises. He don't need a man to, to do what he is doing. He'll use people, but he don't need them. God wants your help, but he don't need it. So number one, you agree and believe in your inheritance. Number two, you steward what is in your possession. So meaning, if God proper, prospers you and God blesses you financially and you go out and you make poor investments, how many of you know that that's not really working too well? You need, right? You need to work with God here. You need to come into agreement with wisdom. That means if you eat 15 cheeseburgers every day, you're going to get fat. You're probably going to have heart issues. God has promised you good healing, but he wants you to come in agreement with that. Are you with me? And so steward what's in your possession and declare, stop. Stop all this nonsense. Of, and listen, I know that people have taken, we've got to be so careful anytime we talk about declaring things. And we've got to be so careful because it's been so abused and we understand that. But, you know, I, I, we were in a place where we were like, if you had a headache and you said you had a headache, it's, you didn't have faith. And I think that's stupid. There, there's, one, there's one aspect of going, okay, I have a headache, but I believe Jesus is the healer. There's nothing wrong with admitting where you're at. The problem is, is when you just dwell with where you're at. So you don't declare where you're at. You declare what's coming because you declare what is promised. The doctor diagnosed me with cancer. You don't walk around going, I have cancer, I have cancer, I have cancer. I'm probably going to die. I've only got six months. The doctor only gave me six months. I'm going to live for six months and I'm going to die. No, you start saying, you know what? The doctor diagnosed me with cancer, but I believe the report of the Lord. I believe that Jesus bore my sickness. And a lot of us, man, it's just emotional health. It's like we lack peace in our life. We're frustrated all the time. Right? We don't sleep well because we just got this gap emotionally that God wants to heal. And we're just, we're living our life just trying to manage frustration. You don't have to manage frustration. You don't have to manage stress. And let me just say this. If you're stressed, then it's probably because you're, you care. But once it becomes a point of frustration and bothering your sleep and bothering the way you live, you've entered into the flesh. You start functioning from your soul. Start declaring, he is my peace. Start declaring over yourself, Jesus, I thank you that I am anchored because of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that I am healed because by your stripes I was healed on Calvary that day. I thank you, Jesus, that whenever you feel condemned, thank you, Jesus, that I am forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose from the grave. God, I feel distant from you. Thank you, God, that you are right here with me. So I sing. I sing. I sing, I sing Jesus. Here you are. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. I don't feel it, but I'm going to sing it because I know it's true. You declare those things. Start changing the way you talk. Stop being. Stop focusing on the negatives. You're always going to have something to complain about. You will always have something to complain about. But let me tell you something that's more real than that. You have something to rejoice about. That's why over and over in Scripture it says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Paul said it this way. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. 
What does rejoicing mean? You notice it doesn't say joyce. The word is rejoice. Why? Because you're repeating it. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. It's a repetition. We rejoice in the devil more than we rejoice in God. It's just so bad. I don't want to... Given the devil, oh, the devil's on me. Oh, my life is so little. This is rejoice in the Lord. Think about God's goodness. Stop thinking about what you're ungrateful for and unhappy about, and start declaring what God has done for you. Stop it. Stop it.